This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to March and episode 119 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It is tournament time as the men's and women's teams head to Pensacola for a chance at the Sunbelt's automatic bid to the big dance. We'll preview the Panthers' chances after wrapping up a wild final week of games in the sports arena. We'll also touch on a tough week on the diamond for Georgia State baseball, and then it's time to talk schedules as the football team now has their full 12-game slate with the release of the Sunbelt Conference schedule on Tuesday. But first, basketball. Goodbye, Sports Arena. Hello, Pensacola. The Panthers won against ULM and Louisiana in their final two games in their home since 1973 to lock up the three seed in this week's conference tourney. More on the goings-on in Picola in a bit, but first, let's look back at the last week that was on the third floor for men's basketball. State were 82-70 winners over the Warhawks of ULM on Wednesday, turning on the afterburners and dropping 46 second-half points to run away with it. Friday's finale was dicier as the Cajuns of Louisiana took an 11-point lead into the locker room, but in one last bit of sports arena magic, the Panthers stormed back and ended their tenacity in the sports arena with a 65-58 comeback win, outscoring UL 41-23 in the second half. So, gentlemen, how about that week with the Louisiana schools? I just want to say, I may or may not have said on here that ULM felt like the game left that we could see the old Georgia State shooting performances of old, and that's exactly what happened. So patting myself on the back for that one. Although uh, it really didn't feel like it uh, halfway through the game, and certainly that was the case again on Saturday, so, or on Friday, rather. So I, the, the lesson from the week was kind of sluggish first halves and then second half performances that made you forget a little bit about how meh, the performances were in the first 20 minutes. Hey, there! These college basketball games are forty minutes of basketball, and I would argue that Georgia State probably played a total of forty minutes of good basketball this week, last week. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's all that they really needed because those first halves were rough. Um, you know, I, I I love it when people say culture win uh, because. When you, when you really understand basketball and you really, you know, follow a team and, you know, you see a culture win in the wild, you can definitely, I really identify with the term. And I feel like that was a culture week for Georgia State. Um, I, you were right in that ULM, they, you know, those shot percentages were much better than they had been, you know, but I'm looking at this, this box score real quick. And I see like, this is not a team that is at, that had 16 turnovers in many games. It's not, you know, they looked sloppy in the first half, you know, some parts of the and second it, half. It wasn't even just the turnovers. The nature of some of the turnovers were really bad. It was just a, a lazy pass here, not anticipating a guy jumping a passing lane there, just someone losing it on an entry pass or making a poor entry pass. Like, the number is one thing, but the number of that number that were just really bad turnovers is another layer to just the roughness of the performance. Yeah, and you know what? ULM is not a great basketball team, but they took advantage. They took advantage plenty of times to kind of, you know, put some hair on Georgia State's chest, so they say. Um, it's nice that Georgia State finally was able to come away with the victory. Um they, you know, figured it out. And I think 
the final score is absolutely not indicative of, you know, what most of that game felt like, but it really seemed like for a while there that Monroe was going to steal a game in the sports arena, you know, and and that was the last thing that Georgia State needed heading into, you know, the conference tournament. But 46 points in the second half, I feel like it's pretty easy to say that that is a season high and a half unless yeah uh, yeah i don't know what else it could have been you know and like they looked good they looked really good they uh, easily cut down on the turnovers you know and at the end of the day ulm kind of they shot shot for shot for them a little bit but georgia state took more like they do they kind of blitzed in that style that you know coach lanier has been you know talking about that's the style that he's employed here while he's been at Georgia State and you know it really looked like Georgia State basketball and it was excellent to see them just kind of put a half and say you know what we still have good shooters on this team we still have good playmakers on this team 7 to 14 for downtown in the second half of that game like that's incredible that's not something that we've seen from a Georgia State team this year no, and, you know, I, it always goes back to the chicken and the egg, and I think there's a little bit of both in this one, but 21 assists in the win over ULM. You had 15 against Louisiana. And when you didn't really make that many baskets as a, a team, you only made 23 on the night from two and from three. And so that's an assist rate of just over 65% on makes. And your coach of the year will be the first one to tell you like that's what he wants to see the ball move he wants to see the assists he wants to see the extra pass and all and you saw that and they were making those extra passes against ULM and really hitting them at a good clip uh, the three-point shooting back down to five of 19 against Louisiana on Saturday but on Friday last time hopefully and <laughs> getting tired of the that getting screwing up my uh my days of the week the games are on but on Wednesday shooting was good you got contributions from Colin Moore in a major way that you really haven't. And it was important because Nelson Phillips was a did not play coach's decision, as was stated by Coach Near after the game on Wednesday. And then he ended up being back in the rotation, playing somewhat as usual minutes against Louisiana. But, you know, felt like an, an intentional thing, kind of like what we saw when he pulled Corey from the starting lineup, when he pulled Jalen Thomas from the starting lineup. It, it was a, obviously a little bit more extreme because Nelson didn't play at all but it felt kind of like from what he was saying it was like a giving these minutes to someone else to have the opportunity Colin made the most of it and I feel like in what could have been the storyline of like oh Nelson Phillips didn't play and this was a big loss like Colin ended up making himself the story with it because he did a lot with those minutes and he three of five from three did the the stuff that he's done in spurts this year defensively and got steals and was just active in general and was a part of that turnaround in the second half. So all in all, really good game from a reserve that I think as minutes continue to be up for grabs with the seniors leaving after this year, I'm really interested to see how he continues to develop because we I feel like we've not scratched the surface with what he could be the more he can play. You know, absolutely. Yeah, and he, you know, he hit that big shot. It was like about 13 minutes left 
in the second half. You know, that he that was when he hit his second shot of the game. And, you know, that kind of started a really nice, like, 7-0 run for Georgia State. And, you know, they pushed their lead to double digits, and it never got below double digits. And, you know, those types of plays from those types of players are key. You know, yeah, next year, you know, we're going to probably talk about Colin and, you know, increasing his role because there will be a ton of minutes up for grabs. But, you know, for now, keeping it into 2020 for a second – you know what? If Nelson's not going to play, if some, you know, if Corey's going to have an off night, he didn't. But you know, this is a hypothetical. You know, you're going to need to have a guy like Colin do what he did against the Warhawks and just kind of, all right, coach needs me to hit a basket. I'm going to hit a jumper. All right, coach needs me to get back on defense. I'm, you know, I'm going to get some steals. I'm, you know, get some rebounds if that's, you know, if that's what it takes. And I, you know, I've really enjoyed the contributions from him. You know, when he's been able to be on the court, be on the court and kind of, you know, do his thing. And, you know, another guy that I want to kind of highlight in the same vein is Evan Johnson. You know, I was sitting there a few weeks ago thinking like, hmm, this team as presently constructed does not really have a point guard going into next year, more or less like that. You know, they, I'm sure organically somebody will kind of step up. But, you know, that guy who is going to take that Kane role or that Justin Roberts role as we see the team right now, isn't really here, but I don't know if Evan Johnson is reading our messages. I don't know if he's, you know, just deciding that he wants to become a point guard at the collegiate level, but you know, he has found a way to kind of insert himself when he's coming off the bench and, you know, be the guy who kind of facilitates the ball. It's not just him taking, you know, top of the key threes that are, you know, Steph Curry range and, you know, making some like that, that is not a criticism, you know, but in this game, he was one for four on his three point shot. Okay. You know, but he had three assists, you know, and, that might not be the game high six that Kane had, but if you're coming off the bench, you know, and you're playing as few minutes as Evan Johnson is playing, you, those three assists, that's incredible. You know, three assists in 16 minutes to go along with six points. I take that every time, every time. And, you know, I want to definitely want to talk about the Louisiana game. So I'm not moving on to the tournament yet, but I, in talking about this section with the bench play, it feels just the perfect time to say that I think the leg up the Georgia State we think has on some of the other teams they'll come across is that depth. You know, Troy plays a ton of guys more than Georgia State. Clearly, that's the advantage that they have on anyone else in the conference. They go like 12, 13 deep some games. But like other than that, and especially in the side of the bracket Georgia State's got, the depth isn't nearly as impactful for some of the other teams. And you've got some teams like App State in South Alabama that have really small rotations. And so guys like Colin and Evan providing what they can in the minutes they play, letting the guys who start or guys like Corey who don't start but play starters minutes get a beat. With the nature of the tournament, with the three games and three days they're going to have to play, guys like that might make the difference in winning this tournament. And... Uh, you know, speaking of winning, I feel like we can just transition right there to the, the second game, which didn't really feel okay. I'll say that I never really sat there watching and thinking the game was over. Like I, it never dawned on me that like, oh, this game's going down the lost column. Like, and to a certain degree, I kind of was like, they're not going to lose the final game in the sports arena. Like it's not going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And the second half was again. It, it was just like immediate kind of like in the ULM game with 20 seconds on the clock heading into the second half, the flip switched basically immediately. And it took 
about eight minutes for Georgia State to make that run to get back into the lead and ultimately hold the lead for good. But you know, Justin Roberts got a steal and an and one on the first possession of the second half. And so even though they didn't cut in the margin all the way until a good bit later, you could feel the energy was different from the start. And if you were looking for any reason to think they're going to come back in the game, they gave it to you almost as soon as the half started. I'm going to stick to that energy point because it the the flip switched right away. Justin gets that steal. We barely are out of the TV time, like the you know return from break. Gets the steal, a layups up there. All right, you know the crowd is like kind of. I was up. there, and, and it <laughs> caught me off guard. Like I was in the building, and I was like, "Oh, the game's starting. And there's already a steal." Exactly. You know, and then. Georgia State kind of scored like a, I think uh, yeah Lel hit that dunk like right after that um, and you know that that was like a little baby four five six point run but you know their deficit at halftime it was a pretty sizable sizable margin you only know? time they've trailed at double digits at the half in the sports arena this year exactly exactly um, but the energy was so much different and you know I liked. I like that Louisiana made Georgia State work for it. I'm not going to lie. I think that, you know, after that initial run, you know, Georgia State kind of cooled off and Louisiana stopped missing every shot. Um, but you, you're right. I think that there was a sense in that half specifically that Louisiana just started to match Georgia State at a period, but the energy was just completely different. And Georgia State, despite their, you know, shooting percentages, they were not going to be denied after a while. So when they did end up making that run at the end of the game and Louisiana did start missing shots again, it just, it wasn't a surprise to me, you know, and the nice thing about that game specifically was, you know, you kind of relied on the guys that you expected to rely on, you know, Kane had 14, you know, uh, Jalen Thomas had 16, was really good, especially at the free throw line. You know, Georgia state was making their free throws, you know, they didn't out-rebound Louisiana, but I thought that they didn't get overmatched in that specific aspect either. You know, in the second half, the margin was 19-18 to Louisiana, which, you know what, that happens. That absolutely happens. But I think the key with Georgia State is their propensity to get offensive rebounds. And honestly, just the extra possessions. The extra possessions have been so helpful for Georgia State. And, you know... Georgia State had 16 offensive rebounds against Louisiana. That's incredible. Louisiana had 12, and, you know, that was really what kind of helped kind of spur them in the first half. But, excuse me, in the second half, that's what kept them in the game. But I think the the way that Georgia State has been able to just kind of find offense when it's there, you know, if they're going to be missing shots, they're going to just need to continue to find ways to clean up on the glass. And, you know, that's kind of what led them to just figuring it out in that second half and winning the game. Plus one turnover in the second half as a team after eight in the first half. And it was the same thing. It was back-to-back first halves where they were just the silly turnovers stacking up and they completely cut that out. I couldn't even tell you what the one turnover was in the second half, but it wasn't even just turnovers. Again, there were several live ball ones where Louisiana was able to get out in transition and either get fouled or get a good look. And those were stacking up and it was a problem. And, immediately in the second half stopped being a problem. And so all the, the only thing was just not all the shots were going in, but like once you take away the one major factor where teams can hurt themselves offensively, namely turning the ball over things were going better. And yeah, I mean the end of the game 
it's kind of what we've seen recently where it's been the defense is really just locking down. I mean, there was one possession where Kane was playing such annoying defense that the guy, the ball handler couldn't do anything really. He was just busy shaking Kane for 25 seconds of the shot clock. He just had to dump it off to a guy in the perimeter who put up a contested three. I think this is when Georgia State was up three or four or something like that. It was like two minutes left in the game. And it was a pretty important possession. And Louisiana didn't really at all get into their offense to even run a set to get anyone a good look, to dump it down to one of their big guys. And, you know, it was kind of like that for a lot of those possessions. And they started getting the turnovers and they started ratcheting it up and they started getting the crowd into it. And that started happening from about the middle of the half, really. And it, it got loud in there. Corey got that and one where he was like falling down, put up an awkward layup and he hit that corner three that like barely moved the net to give them the lead again. And everyone was going crazy. And at that point, you know, Louisiana weathered the storm in that moment and took the lead back. They scored the next four, but Georgia state got back on top eventually. And in that final five minutes, it just felt like they controlled things. They made their free throws. Like you say, Jalen hit four of those really big ones. And Kane does it again where he he gets fouled. He goes, takes care of his business at the line as he's been doing most of this year and especially in conference season. And the one thing that I really appreciated about that second half defensively for Georgia State, they did not allow a Louisiana assist. They completely took them out of their offense. And granted, Louisiana did not have many in the first half. They had five, um, but they did not allow a second half assist. Uh, they were much or, better at a sorry or a second half three pointer. Louisiana was O of nine on three pointers in the second half. And though they weren't good looks. Some of them were not good looks. And like Georgia state was forcing bad looks late in the shot clock repeatedly. And just, I don't know what it is. You know, you'd like to see, you know, coming into this, we said, you know, they only played about, you know, 20 ish minutes of good basketball over those uh, 80 minutes. But I, you can't do that in the tournament coming up. But if Georgia State is going to find ways to have runs like this, you know, you like their chances. You know, you want to see them from the opening tip play a complete basketball game. Yes, of course. You know, if you were to match the second half of Louisiana's defensive intensity with the second half of uh, Monroe's offensive you know, prowess, if you will, like that's an unbeatable Sunbelt basketball team. But, you know, I think, like I said, this was a culture win. You know, this was the sports arena is closing. We're not, you know, we don't really like this team from some prior history. Like we're going to win this game. And that's what they did. They took care of business. And it's, you know, one of the most, if not the most important game of their season to date. And it's places where Georgia State struggled. Like, Closing out games, there have been some of the losses earlier in conference play where you had just really, you know, for lack of a better word, just woeful late game possessions. You know, I'm thinking of like the end of regulation and in overtime against Coastal and that loss uh, against Troy. There were some opportunities to take the lead and just possessions that went nowhere. And you couldn't with the lead in those games, you couldn't just get to the line and make your foul shots. And you've seen a lot of that started to click into place in the wins. and so. You know, especially some of the earlier wins in the win streak, you weren't necessarily blowing out teams. And you've done that a couple of times now, but it still hasn't really been your MO. But the reason it's flipped and you're starting to win games is because they've been better in those late game situations. And 
Lord knows that's going to be important in a winner go home tournament that's coming up. And uh, yeah, about the uh, the opponent, the not so liked opponent. I feel like we got a little bit robbed because it felt like Bob Marlin was pretty close on a couple of occasions to drawing the last ever technical foul in the Georgia State Sports Arena. And, you know, I feel like that's just a loss for the Panther fans. Like, after all of the the, the animosity in that rivalry, it, it would have felt too poetic for him to have the last tech in the sports arena. Yeah, I really thought he was going to get one. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm shocked they didn't give him one. Not because, you know, I don't think he was being vulgar to the refs or anything like that. But, you know, it just seemed like he was very animated for all 40 of those minutes. What You know, Louisiana playing good, Louisiana playing poorly. He was up and at him in every facet. Yeah, there was one. And, you know, I think they didn't give him a tech because he might have been right. And the refs blew the call where he was really mad at a call on one of his players when Kane kind of pretty shoved off and uh, it should have been an offensive foul. And I remember it cause it was a timeout on the court. So he was walking out to mid court anyway. I think they gave him a pass because like he was talking to his players, whatever were coming in, but it was right at that moment. I was like, he's real close. And yeah, like you said, there was one point in the first half where they were winning and he was really mad at the call. I was like, don't give it, don't give the other team free throws when you guys are up by eight or do. Yeah, why not? You know, Georgia State will take that gift. So let's go ahead and move on to talk about the tournament because it's coming up. Georgia State earned a first round bye due to finishing in the top four and will play first on Saturday evening. Play the winner of the number six seed Arkansas State versus number 11 seed ULM game at 6 p.m. Eastern in the Pensacola Bay Center. Further setting the stage in the other quadrant of the Panthers side of the bracket, number two Appalachian State will play the winner of number seven Coastal Carolina and number 10 Georgia Southern in the final game on Saturday night. The winner of that quarterfinal would be State's semifinal opponent on Sunday should they advance. The teams Georgia State could eventually face in the final on the other side of the bracket are as follows. Number one, Texas State. Number four, Troy. Number five, South Alabama. Number eight, Louisiana. Number nine, UTA. And number 12, Little Rock. And for the women, after finishing 10 and 15 on the season and 4 and 9 in Sunbelt play, they're the number 10 seed in the women's tournament, facing the 7 seeded Georgia Southern as we record this podcast. The winner moves on to face number 2 seed UTA Friday night at 8.30 Eastern. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Sunbelt tournament? Yeah, I feel like we should do the, the live cut-in because um, the game is currently happening right now. Um, the score is Georgia's... Georgia Southern 19, Georgia State 13 at the end of the first quarter. I don't know. I did a voice there, but so Georgia State's down by six at the end of the first quarter right now. Obviously, we're not going to be able to touch about touch upon the result of the game as it goes final because we're recording the podcast now. But, you know, it's been kind of one of those seasons where it just hasn't really clicked for the women's team. If they are able to win this game, it would give them a the rivalry win for the year, they'd be two and one in the series against Southern. And so for that reason alone, obviously go win the game and all, but it gets them a berth in the game on Friday against UTA, who's the two seed who beat you by 14 in the sports arena earlier this year. And, you know, it just doesn't feel like it's in the cards for this team to make a run here. And then on the other side, lurking is a very, very good one seed Troy. Um, and so I think hopeful, that Gene can get things turned back around because, you know, you had the one down year a couple years ago, but, and this year hasn't gone exactly to plan, but you've seen the positive since he's gotten here as a coach. 
And so you think you can at least get back in that middle tier of the Sun Belt, maybe playing towards hosting a game, work towards maybe the the buys. Um, but yeah, I guess interested to see how this game turns out. You won when the teams played in Atlanta on a buzzer beater. Georgia Southern won when they played in Statesboro. And so it's one for all the marbles. Yeah, seriously, good luck to the women. Um, you know, the, like you said, the task after this, it's not great uh, for them. You know, the ETA is a good team. And if they happen to do that, Troy is also a good team. And that's kind of been the challenge with the Sun Belt for the women the last couple of years. You know, I think there has been some growth. There definitely has. But at the same time, though, you they're just not at the level of some, you know, really formidable Sunbelt teams. You know, we're talking teams that are consistently losing four, five games the whole season, you know, and it's just until Georgia State can confidently say that they're at that level, it's just going to be a tough battle for them. And then we obviously also don't know the opponent yet for the men's team on Saturday either. Uh, but we've seen one of them recently. And uh, if it is Arkansas State, it will be a rematch of the quarterfinals last year, though. The seeding was different in that point. And so I guess, I don't know. I guess, do, do we want to do preference? Do we want to just kind of talk about, you know, we'll say preference and hopefully David picks the other one that I wasn't going to pick. And so we can talk about both teams. But if that doesn't happen, then... Uh, We'll just talk about the other one inorganically. I my preference is Arkansas State. It's not close, so I don't know who you picked, but uh, you, it's re- I think I went just by the rules of just you play the lower seeds because you on the balance of things. So I, you know, it worked out. Your the process worked out, even though I completely winged that. Uh, I would have picked ULM. So we can talk about Arkansas State first. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the calculus for them specifically is just that. Uh, Georgia State hasn't played Arkansas State this year, and it's really hard to beat a team three times. You know, I think talent wise, Georgia State and the Warhawks of Monroe shouldn't necessarily be in the same conversation, and that's fine. But I also know that we're talking about 18 to 20 year olds. I also know that we're talking about a neutral site tournament. You know, there's no home court advantage in that respect. And anything can happen in March. Like, that's just kind of, you know, we do this every year. That's just the nature of the beast, you know. And um, I still remember a few years ago that Troy, Georgia State, I think it was first or second round game that, you know, kind of shocked everybody where Troy just shot lights out from three and Georgia State just couldn't do anything, you know. And I'm not saying that, you know, ULM will find lightning in a bottle like that. And I'm not even saying that Arkansas State is just necessarily a pushover, you know. Georgia State's going to have to deal with Norchad O'Meara. You know, he's one of, if not the best player in the conference, you know. That's not an easy task. You know, Georgia State, you know, they've struggled sometimes going up against teams that have put together good offensive numbers. And, you know, Arkansas State is a team that does put up good offensive numbers. You know, what they lack in shooting threes, they have great movement. You know, they're averaging 16 assists per game. You know, they... Don't turn the ball over necessarily a ton. It's you know not the highest number, but you know you can't necessarily look for that every single time you have to defend them. You know, like I said, like Omir is a force inside. I know that we everybody loves Lel, and you know Jalen has kind of turned it up 
I'd say, especially during this win streak, but you know, he like Omir is one of the best players in the conference and he's going to be a force down low. And, you know, Georgia state has not been in foul trouble too much this year, but you know, that's just something that they're going to have to consider. But I think with, if you find a way to just let Omir get his and you minimize everybody else's contributions, you know, the same thing that it's said about Georgia State, probably, you know, I think they, if they find enough shooting, they can find a way to win that game against Arkansas State, an opponent they haven't seen since last year. Yeah. And, you know, the matchup last year with that game, Coach Senior talked about that they preached before that game in the tournament, get ready to run on defense because this Arkansas State team is going to do it to you. And he basically intimated that everyone, he didn't think that the message really got through until the game happened. And then they were like, oh, those guys are really fast because, you know, that's what Georgia State has wanted to do under Coach Lanier. And so I think they kind of expected that whatever, we're going to be the team to be able to do it in transition. And so he said coming into this game when that was one of the teams they could play that the the players, not him, mentioned that. They were like, oh, yeah, that's the team. We got to be ready on transition defense. And so you got the growth from that game, which ended up being a win anyway. So it's not like the thing where you had to learn from a loss uh, that ended your season. And so that'll be a factor, you know, seeing if the, the words match the actions there and if they're able to be ready for their transition game. And yeah, like you say, I mean, Omir's going to get his, he's the player of the year, the defensive player of the year in the conference, He's very good, far and away deserving of those awards. And so you might be in the situation where, he outgames your bigs. But I think where you look at the game going in Georgia State's favor is while the guards haven't necessarily played all year like you had hoped and like they've shot it in, in recent years, I think you can say that you think that Georgia State guards are better than Arkansas State's guards and that that can be the difference. And especially, you know, defensively, we've seen huge games from Kane just absolutely even this last week, both the games, Kane flashed really good defense against some of the better players that the two Louisiana schools had. And you're seeing that more and more where he's just ready to be that guy and just be annoying and jump passing lanes and Justin Roberts doing more of the same and the bench guys doing it in the spurts that they have. And they're not a great prolific shooting team from three, uh, Arkansas State. And uh, neither is Georgia State. And both of the teams have guys that are shooting well below their percentages from last year. And so I guess there's reasons for both teams to think that maybe this week that they're each going to click into gear. But I feel like we've been just saying that about Georgia State for the entirety of conference season. So part of it's a fallacy that might never come true. And part of it is, you know, maybe the memories of last year and wanting to make sure that they finish out cutting down the nets this time around locks them in enough to where this is the time. And yeah, I, I guess we saw Omir in his full just dominance when the teams played last year and Georgia state only won by three. And it w- you wouldn't look back at it as a game that they just controlled every facet of Arkansas state had lead late into the game, but they made enough plays. And I think that the way, especially defensively, this Georgia state team is playing right now. I do think that, they can do the same thing. Even if it is kind of ugly, low scoring, one possession type that we've seen them win games through this whole stretch, I think that they could see it through. And I I actually did want to say the uh, can't be the team three times thing is kind of a fallacy uh, because there's this old numbers, but 
I saw a tweet. It was pointing my direction earlier today, actually, that uh, as of 2019, in the last 10 seasons, teams that had gone 2-0 and in a matchup in the regular season won the third game in the tournament 72% of the time. And I think there's cases where it's like teams that are on equal footing and the, the games could have gone to possession here, possession there, that that's where it flips and that's where you get the it's hard to beat a good team three times, whatever, and some somewhat true maybe. But I think in this case, it's kind of the same deal where the reason you won both those games in the regular season is because ultimately your depth won out. ULM doesn't go particularly deep. Georgia State does. In the second half, in both games, Georgia State was the better team. And I'd say in the second half against them this past time, considerably the better team. And you won by double digits both times. And so, yes, I think there may be more of a risk as far as being the hot shooting team, but I don't necessarily get scared away from the memories of that Troy game or from, you know, it can just take anyone to win four and four games. Like, I think if you're looking at it plainly, like, I would rather play the team that doesn't have the conference player of the year. I would rather play the team that, you know, doesn't. And and they've got good players and they had a good offensive game plan. In both games, especially for the first half, ULM was doing a lot good offensively. And in the first half of the home game for Georgia State, they were being really aggressive defensively and it was causing them issues. And I think it happened in the Louisiana game as well, where Georgia State kind of has to reckon with teams playing up in their face and letting that affect them. But over 40 minutes, I think Georgia State's the better team. And so if you're looking for the path of least resistance, like I say, if you can avoid a guy like Omir and just giving him a chance to take over a game against you, I think that's your your choice for me. Hey, that makes sense. I I agree with you. And I think the the third time argument is less so a team with as big a talent gap as between Georgia state and the Warhawks. You know, I think because Georgia state, they, they, I would say that in conference play, they blew out three teams. They blew out Southern at home in easily the best game of the season. Um, And then they went to Louisiana and, you know, blew out, I would say the Warhawks. And then they just by, uh, score if I know it wasn't indicative of what the the game was like, but you know, that second half against the Warhawks, you know, last week was, it, you know, that was a blowout. It seemed like Georgia state played a complete game in that respect. I don't necessarily think that Georgia state is going to do that a third time, but if they do draw them, I think you're right. Like you necessarily shouldn't be afraid of ULM because Georgia state should be able to play to a higher standard, even in a tournament setting, you know, like this coach, coach Lanier and his comments this week about the tournament, you know, he kind of made it seem like this is a group of guys that just really want to go to the tournament, the NCAA tournament. And, you know, outside of Kane, you know, I don't think anybody here has been there. I think Corey, Corey might've been on a tournament team, but didn't really play. yeah, he didn't play. You know, I think Corey's uh, sit-out year was the last time Georgia State went to the tournament, I believe, um, back in 2018. 19. 2019, excuse me. You know, Corey wants to get there. You know, there are other guys here that want to get there. And at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Arkansas State or, you know, ULM. Georgia State is going to see somebody on Saturday who is not as good a team as them. They haven't played nearly as well as them. 
especially recently for Georgia State, and they're just going to have to find a way to execute, you know, playing against the best player in the conference or not. At the end of the day, Georgia State is just going to have to say, you know what, we for the last like month and a half, two months, we have been an incredible basketball team and we're just going to continue to show that. But, but sort of on that point, you know, and this is kind of last thing I have to say, obviously, I'm going to be on location in Pensacola. We're going to have the coverage going on for as long as Georgia State's in the tournament. And uh, yeah, on the playing incredible, like obviously I think we've recognized the team is playing better, but Coach Nier was very forceful in saying like, I told the guys like, if you go in there thinking that you're on a roll because everyone's telling you you are, you're going to go home quick. And, you know, if they are taking his message on board and if they do approach this, like they still have a lot that they can do and they can still grow. And if they aren't looking at it as kind of front runners and seven straight wins and all that, then they're going to be a dangerous team. And if they are not, and if they're caught up in a little bit of the hype, then either of these teams, let alone whoever you'd see in the semifinal or a final can catch you. Like the, the league is wide open. There's good teams. And so the mentality is going to be important. So I thought it was encouraging and good to hear that that was his message and very plainly wanted it stated like we aren't thinking that way. And I, you know, I think there's a balance to, you know, confidence. And I think that type of message can resonate with guys, especially if they are like you were talking about, just so wanting to get to the NCAA tournament because it feels like they can realize that that's the way they have to play to get there. And that message is correct. You know, Georgia State, like, it's really weird to look at it from, like, now, you know, retrospectively, Georgia State is, like, three or four things changing from having 12 straight wins right now. They lost to App State by one point. You know, that coastal game that same weekend, you know, LEL missed a free throw late that would have really helped kind of put Georgia State either tie or put Georgia State ahead. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina came back. Uh, you know, they played well in overtime. Georgia State didn't play that well, lost that game. They lost to Troy, you know, a couple weeks later in in Atlanta. They lost to Troy by four. Every other game that they've played, they've won, you know, and yes, there have been the times during those other nine games where they have looked bad. You know, that first Louisiana game, there was a stretch where they didn't look great. This last Louisiana game, there was a stretch. They didn't look great. The Georgia Southern game in Hanner, there was a stretch. They didn't look great and they found a way to figure it out. And, you know, I think the nice thing about Georgia State to kind of echo those coaches, uh, coaches comments is, you know, we're not talking about a Georgia State team that's just played, you know, the Gonzaga style of basketball where they're just it doesn't matter. We're just way better than you at this. And it, there's not really much that you can do. They've had to work for it. You know, this this run that they've been on has been spurred by that defensive tenacity. And that, to me, is much more important than the fact that they came away with these wins. Like, yes, the wins were important. Yes, you know, you have to give Georgia State credit for working all the way up to the three seed. But it's not just that they have been they have played better. It's how they've played better. Louisiana Monroe was the only team in that stretch to score 70 points. That's important. That's, you, you know, you can't overlook those things. When Georgia State was losing earlier in the conference, in conference play, and, you know, just kind of going through that rough stretch, teams were scoring 70, you know, 90 points on Georgia State like it was nothing. 
and you know coach has said it over and over like teams don't just flip their defensive identity halfway through a season like that and georgia state has been able to you know so i'm i'm not necessarily worried that georgia state is coming in with as many wins as they have because i think that there have been times where they have played well and i think they the probability of that continuing is pretty high but it like i said it it is good that it, you know we're not talking about an even bigger streak in them playing you know a more loose type of basketball i think there have been times where they have played exactly as they need to and you know they've been rewarded for it yeah and hopefully uh we'll see as they play this week in pensacola if they can keep that the momentum that there is going the hard work going and that's going to be what leads them to success and Look forward to talking to everyone about it after the game against either Arkansas State or ULM. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to baseball. Panthers coming off of an 0-5 stretch with a series sweep at Florida last weekend, sandwiched between single-game losses to Kennesaw State and Georgia Tech. The team now sits under 500 at 4-5 and after a 4-0 start. They'll host Villanova for three games this weekend in Panthersville and head up to Wofford for a one-game set next Tuesday. So, gentlemen, thoughts on baseball? Baseball is an incredibly frustrating sport, just in general, um, because so we'll, I'll we're start with the labor relations. You know, <laughs> we're talking about Georgia State baseball. Uh, it's, still, it's, it's still frustrating. It's still you know? frustrating. Exactly. I, I I really liked what I saw out of Georgia State when they played Kennesaw. You know, I'll start there. You know, they kind of jumped on the Kennesaw starter a little bit early, you know, put up three runs through three innings and then just a bad third inning, you know, led to the game being tied on one swing of the bat, which, you know, fine. Uh, but I think that after that, you know, Georgia State, their pitching definitely settled down. Their bats couldn't really do much, but they were they were having competitive at bats at least. And then the sixth inning, which ultimately lost them the game, was just kind of what done them in. And, you know, this Georgia State team, it seems, is not going to be a team that is going to be able to survive walking and hitting guys a lot. That's kind of the nature of baseball. You know, the more guys you have on base, the more likely they are to score. That's how it works, right? Um, And, you know, that kind of how that inning went. And, you know, I don't think that Georgia State played particularly poorly. Kennesaw is a good team. You know, they just kind of worked good at bats, worked good counts. And, you know, guys got their pitch to hit. And, you know, there was a couple of passed balls and, you know, just it just was not a good inning. And, you know, Georgia State kind of fought back. They scored again in the eighth, uh, you know, but it was it was it was nice to see that they played competitively against, you know, a team that's probably a good bit better than them. And then kind of the wheels fell off a little bit after that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we set the stage pretty well last time in that it was like, these are good teams. And so there's a chance this road trip could go not so great. Um, And it played out as literally the worst case scenario going 0 and 5 in these games, but you gave yourself chances. And especially the pitching gave them chances. You know, you only lost 4-1 in the opener against Florida. And then you lost 4-2 in the home game against Georgia Tech. And, you know, you struck out 18 times in that game against Florida. And so the bats were where, you know, it didn't go, it didn't pan out. You're facing the Friday starter for a good SEC team. So in some ways, of course, it was going to be hard to hit against a guy like that. And, you know, they struggled and couldn't make it happen. And then the other two games that weekend started off okay and 
went downhill down the uh, stretch in both of them and ended up being lopsided losses. But Florida's good, and it would have been nice to steal one of those games, but I still think that it, less of a, like last year, every series was against these teams, and so it, it got to be a real bog. Having the series like that every once in a while where you go up against really good competition is a good way to give in-season tests, and especially for some of the freshmen who have been playing, giving that opportunity to go out there. And even if they strike out, even if they put up an at-bat, that you go, well, that could have gone better. That Bad experiences are still good experiences for young players to have. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just think that you can hopefully keep relying on your starters and your pitching to give you a chance, you know, Cameron Landry started this midweek game against Georgia Tech. And, you know, I don't know what the expectations would have been going in, but he came out and gave you six innings, nine strikeouts. And the only real mistake he made was giving up a big home run to Kevin Parada, who hits a lot of home runs, gets a lot of hits in general, is a very good college player for Georgia Tech. And so I think hopefully you can keep building on that and you're not going to necessarily face the prowess in any given week like you did in this stretch of games. And, you know, I know that we said it last year, but like this stretch, this stretch of games is still important. You know, they, and like you said, they, I feel like they handled themselves pretty well for, you know, the level of competition that they were going up against, you know, outside of a little bit of a power outage over the weekend, like they have been in every game that they've played. And, you know, that's the one thing that you want to see going forward. That'll translate to and really show us like, okay, this is a Georgia state team that, you know, the bats might have a quiet day, you know, but they're not going to strike out 18 times every single game. That's, you're not a good baseball team if and you do that. <laughs> they cut that down the next, like it was still a loss and the pitching was less of a good thing on the Saturday game, but they cut that down to six as a team on the Saturday game. So uh, overnight fixed something that had gone wrong the previous game. Okay, fair enough. It still ended up in a loss and you only scored four runs, but still good to see able to make that switch still while you're playing this SEC team who had just struck you out 18 times the, the night before. And, you know, like they only had that game where they struck out 18 times. They only had three hits like that's, you know, obviously not going to cut it. But then, you know, you look at the next day and they cut it to six strikeouts. They were able to put the ball in play a little bit more, you know, like that's those are the types of things that you want to see from this Georgia State team. You know, they made some sort of adjustment. You know, if you take away the bad eighth inning, well, the bad six, seven and eight, you know, you could probably argue that this looks a lot better. And but it's still a learning process for them. Yeah. And I mean, you look at it. Josh Smith sitting 233 on base under 300. Will Mize hitting 214 on base 267. Like those are two guys you think can give you some more. And the evidence bears out that like they are better hitters than that. They can hit at a better clip than that. And so it's not just theoretical to be like, I simply would have you hit more hits. Like there are guys you look at and you think, as they continue to get into the flow of the season are going to offer you some more. And so it's, it's easy to point to some guys that are in the middle of your lineup that you think can be bigger hitters for you. And yeah, this week, Nova, I believe the game went final tonight that they were playing against Charleston Southern and they lost. So they are one in six and Wofford is currently two and five and they're going to play a handful of games before uh, Georgia state plays them next Tuesday. So that record's not going to be the same, but as things look at it, it's kind of a reversal back to, 
games that, especially these three at home against Villanova, who have one win on the year, you'd hope that you can win the series, maybe get a sweep, get the good mojo back, get the bats going, and kind of reset after, take away the the experiences and the chance of going up against some top-level talent, and even if it didn't go well, and hopefully not continue on with the uh, slide that happened in these games and not let it be more losses on the schedule because, you know, you hit a slide. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to football because we now know the Sunbelt schedule for 2022 after the conference released it officially on Tuesday morning. And, drumroll please, it includes all four of the new additions, James Madison from the FCS and the CUSA 3 of Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. Combined with the non-conference schedule we already knew, the Panthers' 12 games are as follows. Season opener on September 3rd at South Carolina. Home opener the next Saturday versus North Carolina. At home again the following week versus Charlotte. September 22nd, Thursday evening, Thursday night if you will, versus Coastal in the Sun Belt opener in Center Park Stadium. October 1st, traveling up to New York to play Army. October 8th, at home versus Georgia Southern. October 19th at Appalachian State on a Wednesday midweek action, probably going to be televised on that date. October 29th at home versus Old Dominion. November 5th away at Southern Miss. November 12th, the final home game of the season versus ULM. And then a two-game away trip at uh, James Madison on November 19th. And then at Marshall on November 26th to close out the regular season. So, Lots of interesting stuff to talk about here with this new schedule. What do we think? So we kind of knew just the way the out-of-conference schedule had been set up that because of that gap the week of September 24th, if that wasn't a bye or a road game, you were going to have the three state home games. And so that was going to mean at some point you were going to have an away game run. And how it works out is that's the final month of the season. The only real gripe you can give with the schedule is that you only have the one home game in November. The last two weeks are played on the road, so it's a really early senior night, senior day. And so that's disappointing, unfortunate. Like you, especially, I think we've gotten spoiled. There's been a lot of home games. Last year, November, there's so many home games. <laughs> um, but I honestly don't think it's a bad schedule. You know, there's only, those two road games to finish the year are the only back to back road games. And the three home games in September, I think it, it, there's a chance that there's a little bit home game overload there in, what, 20 days? But they all offer their own opportunity. Oh, I guess really the first and the third. And the Charlotte game, just, you know, it'd be nice to beat Charlotte again and get that out of conference win. But I think that you would take the fact that you had that home game there against Coastal because it's a Thursday night game in your stadium against a good coastal team. Like I, I think ultimately the trade-off there, instead of getting a buy or a road game, whatever, like I think that that works out because it's nice to be able to host the national TV game. It is nice. Uh, I will say that this schedule is not nice though. Uh, it's not nice to Georgia state. Um, and I, I don't want to say I don't want to just come off the bat here and say, oh, it's a tough schedule. You know, we Georgia State's not going to be able to handle it and blah, 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 because that's not true. We said the same thing last year and they broke the school record for wins. And, you know, I know that 
Brady, you and I were optimistic about what Georgia State was capable of doing. Apparently a little too optimistic. (laughs) Um, But they won games that we expected them to win. You know, they lost a couple of games that we expected them to lose. Um, Looked really bad in one of them. And, you know, they lost very closely to Louisiana. But at the end of the day, at some point, if this team is going to be where they keep saying they want to be, tough schedule, easy schedule, doesn't matter. You know, eventually somebody in the Georgia State Coastal Series is going to win a game at home. Eventually, this would be a great year for that to happen. You know, I know McCall's back and, you know, they're going to do their little, you know, rah, rah, this is our final ride or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I the Sam Pinckney thing is probably going to irk some people on the Georgia State side. But that's a game that Georgia State can win and should win. You know, the games at home for Georgia State, it's Georgia Southern. Georgia State's better than Georgia Southern right now, unless, you know, something is drastically different. You know, North Carolina is an ACC team, and so they've got that level of talent, and that's great. Sam Howell's gone. You know, anything can happen. I think UNC is probably going to be okay to find this year, but weirder things have happened. You know, Georgia State should beat Charlotte. Sorry, but they're a better team than Charlotte. So, you know, you really just have... Old, an old Dominion team kind of coming over and changing conferences and then ULM again. Like that's that's a good home slate for Georgia State. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, you know, I'm projecting five, six wins out of that slate. But if you told me right, if somebody came back from the future later this year and says Georgia State won out all of their games at home, it wouldn't shock me. Really wouldn't if if they play like how they can play. And if, you know, guys stay healthy really wouldn't shock me if they won all of their games at home. There you go. There you go. Uh, but I, you know, I will not take away your thunder of like giving the UNC win in the middle of March, but I just wanted to say that like, you're right that even if you take that one out of the equation and said, you know, guarantee that's a loss five and one super achievable. It's five games against teams. You either beat on the road or at home in the case of Charlotte or, had a better record than in 2021 in the case of Old Dominion. And, you know, I think they're going to come in. They've been playing well uh, last year after kind of hitting a rough patch. And so I expect them to be better. And I'm not just chalking that up as a win. But if you look at it just down to brass tacks, you return a lot of guys and it's teams you beat last year. And so I do agree with you that one of the real positives is that it is a good home schedule of teams, I think. And it's a collection of games that you feel you can win and always important to handle your business at home. And then you'll get your road test and Georgia state has got their road tests in abundance on this schedule. They and certainly do. <laughs> it's it spread out. I think better than last year. You know, there isn't the, the first takeaway I remember for, I think all of us last year was that three game stretch where you played Louisiana, Louisiana, um, Southern Louisiana and coastal all on the road. And Georgia State ended up going two and one in that stretch, but I still am comfortable with my initial takeaway being like, oh, that's a rough stretch. And the only one you really look at like that just by default is the final stretch. And at that point, we will probably know how JMU has made the transition. And I don't expect them to flounder. You know, I think they can't go to a bowl game or win the championship, but it wouldn't surprise me if that point we're looking at a team that's above 500 and winning a lot of ball games. Marshall ended up, Six wins, I think, last year. Uh, they lost their their quarterback, Grant Wells, who I thought was really good, young underclassman, to Virginia Tech uh, to join old friend of the pod, Brad Glenn. 
but I still think they're good. And I guess the, the general thing that you see when you look at the schedule is they're just nowhere to hide. Like even if you look at Georgia Southern, who is the bottom of the East last year, and we are, signs would suggest it's probably going to be at least another year before they really get it back, just because there's a lot of a rebuild that's got to go on. But even if you look at them as a team that's going to be in the bottom half of the East again, it's still got that rivalry factor for Georgia State. So you you know you have to throw out the records. It's every cliche we always say whenever there's that game comes around, but all of the games against the East, and you've only got two against the West. And you know if you're looking at it honestly, Georgia State got a pretty decent draw as far as the West goes because it's at Southern Miss, who only won three games last year. Though I think they're going to be better. And ULM, who won four games, but there's still a bit of a task there rebuilding that team for Terry Bowden. And so you avoid Louisiana, and that's probably a number one just because until they aren't the class of the West, they're the class of the West. So you actually did okay in that regard, but it's still, you look at the schedule and it's it's a daunting conference slate. And that's not even talking about that it's a pretty difficult out-of-conference slate. You've got the road game against South Carolina and Army. And you host UNC, and I'm very intrigued what Georgia State's going to look like at the beginning of the year versus last year, and what that North Carolina team is going to look at before I'm ready to make any kind of proclamations. But they're definitely going to have to earn it again. But we looked at last year; it was going to be a tough sled. They ended up getting eight wins, so the progress they want to make is going to involve winning on a tough schedule against good teams and. You know, that's going to be every year from now on in the Sunbelt East. I mean, just reality is like the venues are going to swap every year, but those six games are going to be what they're going to be every year. And you're going to maybe get some luck here or there or not luck with the two teams you play from the West until they kind of balance out and become a more competitive conference with the East. But reality is now that like the, the days are gone where Georgia State's going to be able to circle some games is for sure definite wins. It's... It's the Wild West out there, the Wild East. You got to come up with something alliterative there. Some, I, we'll workshop that one. Yeah. But you're right. Like, they're, you know, they're really, I'd say the only place that they can hide is that November, that early November stretch, Southern Miss, ULM, and James Madison. And I'll put James Madison here as a big caveat just because. Where they're making a jump from FCS to FBS. I am not saying that they're going to be bad. I don't think they're going to be bad, like terrible. I just I don't want to sit here and say that they're going to be the class of the Sun Belt in 2022. You know, if they are challenging App State and, you know, Coastal at the top of the division. Great. That's fine. Uh, sorry, I should actually say if they're challenging App State and Georgia State because Georgia State yeah, finished go. second in the East last year. Dang Wondering it. what you were doing. Um, I'm not saying that James Madison is going to be the bottom of the Sun Belt East. I just because they are such a wild card and because we do know a little bit more what Georgia State is going to be slash capable of. um, I think it is pretty easy, quote unquote, for me to project that stretch to be not as hard as this coastal army, Georgia Southern app state stretch or, you know, having to end your season on the road at a good Marshall team that plays at home, you know, like, yes, it is the wild, wild East or whatever it is that we come up with that. Um, You know, I guess the upside is, is if you get through the wild, wild East, you know, 
you're probably hosting some sort of championship game at that point. You know, if you if you do go to Boone and win that game, if you are able to, you know, end the hilarious away winning streak in the Coastal Series, you know, there's a Georgia State is probably better than Southern Miss. Georgia State should be better than ULM. You know, I'm, you can't bank those wins in March, obviously, but if we can project them, sure. Like they should be in a really good spot to be going either to the Sunbelt championship game or hosting it. Even. I do want to say that it is very odd that if we look at the schedule, all of app state Southern and coastal will be done by the middle of October. You know, it's kind of the nature again of just how the schedule is flipped, but it's also just the way things worked out this year. And, you know, another way that they worked out this year is you've got two national TV games for sure. I know there's the rest of them that didn't get picked in the first tranche of games by the Sun Belt or by ESPN. There's still an option to. And so maybe some of the later games get flexed. You know, if JMU goes on one of those runs like we saw Georgia Southern do their first year, App State eventually do. It wouldn't shock me if they get a game on like ESPNU at noon. Because you know ESPN wants to feature this great story that's going on, uh, and but you've at least got these two, and I think that's good. I October's kind of a weird month because of that game because you got the game on the first and then the eighth and then you're off eleven days and then you're off another ten days after the game and the spotlight's going to be on that one just because probably ESPN ESPN two broadcast and. At that point, it'll kind of be one of those games that determines what position each of those teams are going to be at as far as the division race goes. And so, I don't know, it feels like that moment. You kind of just, if you win that game on the rock and finally end that streak, you're going to be in a good position, probably. And so it'll not just be kind of the monkey off your back with winning in that series finally, but where it falls lends itself to having some consequence for how your season goes. And so I'm really excited to see where those two teams are going to be heading into that game. It could be a real, it could be a heck of a game. All right. So another episode of the Thursday night podcast means another installment of sports bits And boy. Do we have another doozy for you this week? Uh, Friday, uh, men's tennis has two games in Atlanta at 11 a.m. versus North Florida and at 4 p.m. versus Alabama State. Softball is playing Tennessee State in Gainesville, Florida in the Bubbly Invitational at 10.30 a.m. Beach Volleyball playing Stetson in the Horned Frog Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas, also at 10.30 a.m. And then Softball plays Florida in the Bubbly Invitational at 3.30 p.m. Baseball takes on Villanova at the GSU Baseball Complex at 4. And then Beach Volleyball also plays Florida State in Fort Worth at 6.30 p.m. And then Saturday, we've got more Horned Frog Challenge action for the Beach Volleyball team playing South Carolina at 8.30 in the morning in Fort Worth. And then also playing TCU at 12.30 and Central Arkansas at 2.30. They're going to be all sorts of busy on Saturday. Women's tennis taking on Florida A&M in Atlanta at 11 a.m. Women's soccer playing Life University in Atlanta at 1 p.m. Baseball playing Villanova at 1 p.m. at the GSU Baseball Complex. Men's soccer taking on UAB in Atlanta at 3.30 p.m. Softball versus Coastal Carolina in a continuation of the Bubbly Invitational at 3.30 p.m. And of course, 
the men's basketball Sun Belt tournament game versus either number six Arkansas State or number eleven ULM in Pensacola at six p.m. And that game will be on ESPN Plus and WRAS FM eighty eight point five. And then Sunday, men's golf. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, actually, at Auburn for the Tiger Invitational in Opelika, Alabama, all day. And then softball plays Tennessee State in the Bubbly Invitational at 9 a.m. Men's tennis taking on Liberty in Atlanta at 11 a.m. Baseball plays Villanova again at the GSU Baseball Complex at noon. Women's tennis playing Alabama State in Atlanta at 1.30 p.m. Softball playing Florida in the Bubbly Invitational at 2 p.m. And then women's tennis takes on Alabama State at 2.30 p.m. And as I said previously, Monday, men's golf will be at the Tiger Invitational, and they will be there Tuesday as well. And then finishing up on Tuesday, baseball at Wofford in Spartanburg, South Carolina at 5 p.m. And then Wednesday, beach volleyball playing Coastal Carolina, Tusculum, Mercer in the Day of the Duels in Atlanta, 8 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m., respectively. And then softball plays at UGA in Athens at 6 p.m. So tons and tons and tons of stuff going on in Panthers athletics this week. Get out, catch a game, catch one online, do whatever you got to do, and support the Panthers. That's all we've got for you this week. As a reminder, Brady will be live in Pensacola to cover that men's game. So keep it locked to our social media handles for his coverage. And hopefully you can make a trip down there to see the Panthers play. If not, you can catch them online. Hope they do well. We'll see you in the next episode to talk about what happened. See ya.